0: So good to be together. Amen. We're already sensing the Lord's presence, the Lord doing things in our hearts uh, during the time of worship. And we're just going to truly believe that God has more in store, that God is continuing to move in our hearts, even though the setting has changed. Even though I don't have a band behind me, I know the Word of God and the presence of God is here. So I'm expecting good things and if you're online joining us thank you so much for being part of this service being together but uh like you heard already that I just sense in my heart that this is the time to just pause for a moment as we're in these series but I felt like I needed to do a standalone message a moment for you and I to just stop pause and kind of talk about something that's very relevant to our hearts and this is coming from a pastor's heart. So if you're new here or you're just watching us online for the first time, I mean, this is really just me being the pastor of this community and wanting to address our people. But if you're here for the ride, thank you. Thank you for joining us. But for the rest of us, here's the thing. I just want you to just you, uh, grab your seatbelt, put it over your shoulder, and buckle up, okay, because uh, we're in for a little bit of a ride here. Because I truly, I I want, I I really felt like, man, I needed to address the elephant in the room and the donkey and the independent or wherever your politics lean towards, okay? Yes, we're going to talk about Jesus, politics, and the church. You know, I've heard it said this, is that there are two topics that you do not talk about at work or with your family. What are those? Religion and politics, right? Right? Yeah, we're going to talk about them today <laughs> in church. <laughs> church and politics. We're going to talk about them. You picked a great day to show up to our service. So I just want you just to just relax, take a deep breath. I feel like it's important for us to talk about this stuff because it's something that's been stirring in our hearts for quite a while. Probably All summer. And so what we got to do is just come right now with just the posture of allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in our hearts to continue to allow him to speak to our hearts because I believe he has a lot to say on this subject. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help you engage in this topic. But we need him, don't we? We can't just venture off on our own. We can't just do this. I didn't do this on my own. I didn't just come up with my own thoughts and ideas, but I submitted them to the presence of God. So let's submit ourselves to the presence of God that I believe is here, that is, is, is wanting to work through these things. And guess what? It might be uncomfortable. I can feel the tension in this room and online. <laughs> but uh, as we approach November 3rd, which is nine days away, I want to say this, that no matter what the results are, we know that there will be a monumental shift in our country that is caused by the leadership. From a local level to a state level to ultimately the high level in our country, the president of the United States office. And I think that civil leadership is important for us and it should concern us. And I'm thankful that we live in a country where we get a voice in that. That, that we have this opportunity and this responsibility to, to, to cast a vote. to to decide on what type of leadership that we want to live under. Now, we understand this. Those of us who have lived a little while, we know that we don't always get the results that we want. It doesn't always pan out the way we hoped for. But at least we get the opportunity to vote. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we live in a place where we get to have a voice at all different levels. But I'll tell you this, that the next leader elected or the next party that's in power for the next four years, I want to tell you this, they will not solve all of our problems. Okay, we just got to say that. They definitely will not solve our biggest problem. I think our biggest problem we have in this country or all over in the world is something that we understand as gospel people. We understand that as being sin. It'll still exist on November 4th. It will still exist January 20th when the next president or the the president will do another four years. But how should we we respond during this time? How, how How do we work through this? Because if we're not careful, I think that politics will distract us from the mission that we're supposed to be on. A mission given to us by our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, who was very clear when he told us that our mission here as a church is to continue to further the gospel message. To bring people the message. To to be a mission people. To bring the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone and anyone. And in this season, I want to tell you that no matter where your political views are, where they line up. It's important that us as Christians, if you're a believer in the house or watching online, this is so important, let's stay committed to the kingdom and to the gospel message no matter what happens. We have to stay committed. We cannot be distracted. And you might be thinking like, whoa, hey, hold up Pastor Omar. Uh, I don't think it's the church's place to talk about politics. Let me tell you, it's not the church's place to be partisan. But it is important for us to be able to engage and talk about politics. Why? Because it affects all of us in so many ways. And I think that there should be, uh, there's not a better place for the church's voice, for Christian people to speak into places like that. I think it's what God wants. I've met many politicians, good, God-fearing, God-loving, Jesus-following politicians, man, that are out there serving our city, serving our country, and being a light in high places. I believe in that. But really the big question this morning, and the big question I think in all of our hearts, is this, is, does Jesus care about our politics? Where is Jesus in all this? And the short answer to that question is this, is yes, yes, he does care. However, it might not be for the reasons that you think. Because usually when we think about politics, we think about issues, and we think about all the issues, and we're like, where does Jesus line up with this issue? And you have people in your life that are believers and Bible fear and Jesus following people that might stand on different sides of issues that you deeply care about. And you're like, where's Jesus in all this? It's kind of like when, um, when you watch a sporting event and you have the two teams and they both pray, right? It's like, and they're both praying that they win and it's like, well, who does Jesus listen to? <laughs> who does Jesus help? Who's Jesus rooting for? right? Sometimes it could feel that way. You're just like, wow, where's team Jesus at in all this? Where does he care? I think he does because he understands that this affects all of us. I think God sees it and he knows that in his heart, it's people are more important than the issues. And what I mean by that is sometimes we can be more focused on being on the right side of an issue that we attack a person who doesn't agree with us and attempts to let them know that we're right and they're wrong. Unfortunately, that's happening in our families. It's happening in our, in our churches. I mean, it's, and I think it grieves the heart of God. I mean, issues are important, but if we're bulldozing, if we're, if we're attacking people, if we're, if we're demeaning people because they have a different view on an issue than we do, then and, 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 and I know that that grieves the heart of God. That's not what God wants for his people. He does not want us to be a witness in that manner. So what do we do? How can we have healthy discussions? Discussions that we might not agree with at the end of the discussion. Dialogues about things that will affect all of us without breaking relationships. Because I think it's important that we learn how to do this without breaking relationships. And unfortunately, I'm hearing about that. I'm seeing it. I'm witnessing it. And I'm experiencing some of it. So you're not alone. And I think about why is this so personal, right? You start talking about politics. Start talking about issues. It gets personal, doesn't it? People get passionate when they talk about this. And I was thinking, why is it so personal? Why, why does it just get the blood boiling, Why do we react in such a way where we cringe and we want to clench a fist and we want to get loud? Well, it's because politics affects all of our lives in so many different ways. I mean, politics, it affects how we live, it affects our money, it affects our community resources, it affects our freedoms to worship, it affects our education, it affects our environment, it affects our national defense, our laws, pretty much you get it. It affects lots of places in our life. That's why it feels so personal. And that's why probably at times where we want to avoid these topics. But I think we need to talk about these topics and learn how to engage in these topics. We must learn how to talk about these important issues in life without getting offended, without getting mean. Come on, somebody. Without getting judgmental. Without slandering one another. And I just felt like as as your pastor, as your spiritual leader, I just felt like I wanted to help guide you in this season to guide you in this season and the many other seasons to come when you have to work through these emotions and work through all this politics that goes on around us, that we engage in. And Some of you are thinking, wow, man, I picked an odd time to check in the church. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's others that are like saying thank you because I've been very anxious about this. I've been having a struggle with this. And so wherever you fall on that, just know God's going to meet you right where you're at. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you so much for this gathering. We thank you that we're allowed to come together, to be together. Lord, you've already blessed us with your presence, Lord. I pray you speak to us through your word. Help us, meet us where we're at. Help me, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Questions? questions. You know, I love it when somebody asks a good question, don't you? Like when somebody asks a good question because it causes you to take a step back and think a little deeper about what you're wanting to gain. Now I don't know how many of you uh somebody asks you a question and instead of doing research you Google it. I mean that might sound like research but that's not research. That's cheating, right? That's the easy way, right? But I think a good question, it really reveals and uncovers something deeper. And it's it's satisfying when we when we get a good question that leads us to a deeper meaning, where where it just it brings it, it breaks up some stuff, some clutter and, and it clears it up for you. I think it is so good. I think we learn a lot about asking the right questions. Do you know that Jesus was a good question asker? I know that's not proper, but you get what I'm saying. He was the best at asking questions. I mean, if you look at Jesus' life through the Gospels, you see that, that the central teachings of Jesus' life and teachings was in question form. Jesus loved asking questions. People loved coming to Jesus with questions. You know, if you read through the Gospels, you see that, that, that people came up to him and, and they asked him 183 questions. Yet Jesus himself asked people 307 questions. And out of the 183 questions that people asked Jesus, he only gave three answers to those questions out loud. Now, I say out loud because oftentimes Jesus would reveal things in their heart and they would get that answer as they would know that Jesus knew their heart and they would walk away with what they were trying to find. But have you ever talked to somebody who just asks a lot of questions? Usually it's kids, right? Sometimes in the moment you get a little frustrated can turn a little annoying sometimes. You're just like, man, man, there's just tons of questions. But, but when somebody asks you a good question, doesn't it free you? I think Jesus likes asking questions because he knows what it will do. It will get us to dig deeper. It will free us up from things that we're really trying to ask. He gets to the heart of the matter. That's what I love about Jesus' questions. I think Jesus still asks questions. But as we come to the Lord, and I hope you have during this season, and you came to him and you said, Lord, how am I supposed to vote? Lord, where do you stand on this issue? What are the, I look at all the issues and and I'm wondering, God, what takes priority because if you're somebody who votes on issues, you're wondering like, okay, where's the priority? Where, where, where do I lie on this? Where, what do I say? What do I do? Maybe some of you are coming to the Lord with questions of God. I feel like I'm compromising my values and my belief system if I vote for this person or that person. And you're saying, God, what do I do? How many of you guys come to the Lord with these questions? And many more probably in regards to this season. And I believe that Jesus is wanting to now turn that question into a question directed to you to go deeper, to understand him more and learn his hearts. But it's going to come in a form of a question. So my big takeaway this morning for you is in this season, are you allowing time with Jesus for him to ask you questions? Because let me tell you something, a two-minute prayer on the way to work isn't going to cut it. This is a big decision. This is big decision times, and so you need to spend more time with the Lord to allow him to, to dig a little deeper in your heart. The real question is this, is does Jesus care about our politics? And I think right now that's the most important question ever right now for a believer. And we're wondering, what is the church's stance on this, or, or, or how should I believe in this area or that area? And really what we're trying to say is how do God's people, how are they supposed to respond because we know right now our, our the gap there, the divide right now is wider than ever in our country. Let's just be real. We've seen it. And it's getting extreme. You got you got extreme left and you got extreme right. You got conservatives, you got progressives, you got red, you got blue, you got de- Democrats, Republicans, and it just seems like the, the division's getting wider and wider. And what I'm sensing right now is that it's actually even bleeding into the church. People are feeling more separated, more, more, more pulled away. You now, some of you guys, this might be a newsflash to you, but for some of you guys, you need to understand that there are people in your church community that lean on the other side of the aisle politically than you do. I know that's a bomb for some of you guys. That's the truth. And that used to not be such an issue, but it is now. It's turned into a point of contention. In so much that this past week, I actually was at a conference with a bunch of Foursquare pastors, about over 200 pastors in our region. And so we all showed up to this conference. And guess what we talked about all week? Politics. And you know, in a group of pastors, 200 of them, it was all mixed on what they thought and who they thought should be running our country for the next four years. I was shocked. It got passionate. Pastors like to talk. And it just showed me that this is probably a reflection of what it looks like in many churches today. But even pastors seem a bit divided. Now, I'm not here this morning to help sway you to one side or the other. My job as your pastor, I know what my job is. My job is to sharpen your conscience through the word of God, through imparting that to you. And letting you and the Holy Spirit work through those things that he's trying to do in your heart. That's why we got to go deeper. My prayer through these passages today is that the word of God will come and it will sharpen your conscience. Just like the, 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 the Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 1.5, he says this, he says, but the goal of our instructions, the goal of sermons, the goal of being taught the word of God is for, is for love to come from a pure heart, for a good conscience and sincere faith. That's what we gotta trust. That's what we gotta believe in. It's not to puff ourselves up, but that's to love better, to know God, to have a good conscience and have a sincere faith. Now, this morning I want to look at a section of Scripture in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, you can kind of go into the Gospel of Mark. We're going to go towards the end of that book, Mark chapter 11, kind of highlight something in, in 11 and in 12. But with this passage of scripture, it's known as a triumphal entry. And usually we only preach about it in Easter. But I thought it would be appropriate for this time. Because what we'll see is that in the life of Jesus in this time and in the region of Judea and Jerusalem, Israel, all this area, there was a lot of political tension. There was a lot of groups trying to establish power and authority over people. And Jesus is right dab in the middle of it because of his movement, because of what he's teaching and what he's preaching. He's causing a stir in that political climate. Let me give you a little context here. This is the week before Jesus' crucifixion. And he enters Jerusalem for the last time, and he's going in, and the Bible tells us that he gets on this, this, this donkey, and, and he's going in, and this is to, pro- to fulfill prophetic prophecies about Jesus and how he would come in. But what he, doesn't, what, what he knows is happening is that people are looking at him, and they're wanting him to be the next leader. They're wanting him to sit on the throne as the rightful king of Israel and to, and to demolish Roman rule and to bring things back to the way they're supposed to be to the Jewish people and what they believed that, that was their right. And so he's coming in, and the city is packed because it's the week of Passover, big holiday weekend. People, the crowds come together, and as Jesus is entering in the city, there's, there's, there's thousands of people on the roadways. And you, if you've ever been down there or seen pictures, it's very narrow roads. So this place was packed, jam-packed. And people are, are shouting and they're waving palm branches, which was a sign of, of nationalism for the, for the Jewish people. And they start shouting these words like, Hosanna, save us, which is very political. And so they're expressing that to him, saying we choose you to lead us in our fight against Rome. To overpower this evil empire and establish God's kingdom. Now, they expected Jesus as he's getting this um, thing happening here to him. They expect him to now charge the the palace, but he doesn't charge the palace. Where does he go? He goes to the temple. Jesus goes to the temple like he always did, except this time he he, he makes a whip. (laughs) This time he's a little bit mad and ticked off. He goes in there, he walks in there, and he starts overturning tables. People are wondering, what is going on here? We're going to read what's going on here. Mark chapter 11. I'll start in verse fifteen. Some of you haven't read through this, man. You're like, "What? I've never heard this story." It says, "On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple court and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts." But what I love about Jesus is that he does this to correct something that was wrong, to bring justice. But then he teaches. 17, as he taught them, he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, listen to this, for all nations, Jews and Gentiles. But you have made it a den of robbers. See, Jesus was taking a stand against injustice. He was taking a stand against these religious leaders and these rulers that were allowing the temple to be a platform for selfish gain and profits. Merchants and money changers, they were taking advantage of the people and charging high rates for them to practice worship to God. And these religious leaders, they were all making a profit. These leaders were hijacking God's holy spaces for their own selfish gains. Let me tell, let me tell you that the Lord, he, he, this is what gets him angry. And to make matters worse, this marketplace was set up in the Gentile court, making it less room for Gentiles to come in to worship God. There's a lot in that. Verse 18, it says, But then the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, they saw what was happening, and they began looking for ways to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed by his teaching. So, so they don't like this. It's messing up their thing. Jesus is already messing stuff up. He's gaining his following. And now they're thinking, we got to do something about this, Jesus. He's disrupting too much. He doesn't play the, the game that we've been playing. Then you go into the next chapter here, Mark chapter 12, verse 13. It says, Later, they, who's they? The chief priests, the teachers of the law, probably some of the people that lost some money when Jesus came and cleansed the temple. Those guys. They sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch Jesus to catch him at his words. Interesting that they use these two groups of people, and there's an interesting thing about these people, the Pharisees and the Herodians, because what you need to understand is that the Pharisees, they were all about conservatism, and they they were all about keeping things uh, the way pure and proper, and and, and they're the conservatives, and then you look at the Herodians, and they were making deals with Rome and, and, and working that system out, and so they were embracing some of the changes. They were more progressive and liberal, And so you see these two groups that despise each other. They never got along. They didn't agree on anything. They were pulling and trying to get power over the people. And we see this one time where they got together to figure out what are we going to do with Jesus. He's messing things up. So they get together and they try to trap Jesus. And they're trying to get Jesus to say something that will incriminate him and cause people to go against him. So they found the perfect question. It says this. It says they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance to the truth. They're trying to butter them up because they're afraid of the people. And then they get to their question. And it says, Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should I pay or shouldn't I? Now, what you need to understand is that these were two questions, two questions that elicited two different responses. See, the first question, was it lawful for us to pay this tax to Caesar? That was questioning Caesar's authority. The second question was looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, what should we do? What do you think we should do? And that was questioning Jesus' authority. Now, what we have to understand is that we have to understand what is this tax they're talking about? Because when we think of the context of a tax, we think of it as something that we, we give where we have to pay, and that it will help our roads or help our school system or some projects. And, and you know, help, You know we think of it that way, but this was not that typical tax. This was, this was a poll tax or a tribute tax. This was a tax given that had to be given for every Jewish male. It was a payment that was intended for Caesar to remind them that he owned them. That the soil that they lived on and the air they breathed belonged to him. And so this was something that he wanted to show them that I got control. That that, that you got to give that to me. And the price for that is one denarius. I got a picture of what one looks like. I actually got a replica here in my pocket of what a Roman denarius looked like. You see on one side, it was Caesar. On the other side, there was an eagle. And on the inscription on the other side, it said this, it said, it said, The son of God, Augustus, Pointus Maximus, high priest. And this is what these Jewish believers who honored God, Yahweh, they would have to come and they'd have to give this this coin, which to them was blasphemy because it had an image of Caesar as God, as the high priest, and they would have to use that and give it back and say, you own me. Can you imagine what was behind that, the anger, the pain, the frustration of having to do this time and time again. This was usually required once a year, but it also required every time Rome wanted it. Whenever he felt the tensions, he's required it so that they would remember who was in charge. So Jesus shows up and he's preaching this message about God's kingdom. Thousands of people are following him, and people are starting to see him as this new king. He goes in Jerusalem, he goes in the temple, he cleanses it. He has this fierce emotion, he's serious. And what we lose sometimes is a little bit of context in history, what's happening here. See, 25 years prior to this moment, when this tax was established, there was a rebellion happening from this guy who led this rebellion. His name was Judas the Galilean. And this guy, he rallied the people because he said, This is wrong. This isn't okay. And so he rallied people, he created this army, and he went and he wanted to destroy Roman rule. And so he led a rebellion. One of the first things he did is he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple of all Gentiles. He kicked all the Gentiles out. He says, we don't want you in our country. We don't want you here anymore. And so they started to go there. But eventually this guy was caught and he was killed by the Romans. And here was Jesus being called the king, the next leader. Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple, except he's not kicking Gentiles out. He's trying to make more room. He's angry because they have not created space. For people to come in freely to worship the God, the King. He's also from Galilee. This is the perfect setup for Jesus. All we have to do now is just tell him and talk to him about this tax. And if he denounces this tax, then we'll have Rome do our dirty work. Now you understand the context of this question and why it was such a big one? There was a trap. But it says that Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He said. he said, bring me a denarius and let's look at it. And they brought the coin and they asked, he said, whose image is on this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. And they were amazed. I mean, this is the brilliance of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus right here. Not only does he shut the mouth of his accusers, but he reveals their heart. Not only does he answer the question of of who has ultimate authority, but he gives us a roadmap of how to live in the world but not be of the world. If you really study that through, he's showing the limited power of government and the authority that it carries. And he shows us that, that God's the one that reigns supreme. Jesus is showing us today how we ought to balance life in between. Jesus brings clarity to a political question. You know, the first thing I see in here that surprises me at times is that Jesus, he legitimizes his pagan government by saying, if you're living in the land that demands taxes, pay it. Pay them the tax. In this case, he's saying what belongs to Caesar, belongs to Caesar. Why? Because it had Caesar's image on it. It was made by Caesar's authority. So give it back. But the way to help me understand this a little bit better is I just reversed that question. I thought to myself, well, what doesn't belong to Caesar? What doesn't belong to him? Whatever doesn't bear his image. Jesus says it in the same way. He says, give to God what belongs to God. He says, give them what belongs to them, but now let's start talking about giving to God what belongs to God. So what belongs to God? The things that were made by his authority and the things that are made in his image. Well, what is that? Well, friends, if you don't know, it's you and I. It's mankind. And Jesus was modeling to us how to submit under an authority of a worldly government with things that the world controls, which is very limited. And yet we can also be, be citizens of heaven who also live under the full authority of God and his kingdom. And I want to ask you this morning, are you living under that? Are you living, submitted your lives to that? It's crazy to me. Jesus paid taxes. You see this another time where where he was asked for a tax and he just told his disciple to go out to catch a fish and then in the fish's mouth there was a coin and he paid his tax that way. We see that that he grew up in a household that paid taxes. And it's incredible to me that Jesus paid taxes to a a pagan government but lived under kingdom authority. It's crazy to me to think that his taxes that he paid probably paid the wages of the soldiers that crucified him. (laughs) See, we should have limited loyalty to any government but ultimate alliance to the God that made us that we are bearing his image and we belong to him. So how do we apply this to our lives? Where do we go from here? How, how does this help us? Because I know I shared a lot. Well, here's the thing. Is number one is that it is biblical to be a law-abiding citizen in any government I think sometimes we just have to remember that these scriptures that we are given, these scriptures that we put our lives under and that we use to learn to live this life today, how many know that these scriptures were not written in a democracy? Scriptures like this, Romans 13.1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 1 Peter 2, 13 says, Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Listen to this. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Or say Everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Titus 3, 1 and 2, he says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, be, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Friends, sometimes I think we look at these scriptures into the lens of, of, of America. And remember, these scriptures that we cherish, they were cherished by many people, they were preached by many people, held by lots of Christians living in all different forms of government through thousands of years. Yet Jesus, or God, is very clear when he's telling people that they need to work with, not against those governing over us. Yet also, know that God is still the highest authority, and that it is his authority that rules over our lives, and also the lives of those that are sitting in the position that govern over us. They're accountable as well. That's what it teaches us. And as a law abiding citizen and as a citizen of heaven, we have the obligation to engage in politics that impact our communities and our nation. Yet we also have the obligation to keep the kingdom perspective and the kingdom mission in front of us, to be engaged in that as well. You know, it bothers me sometimes where where people just put one, lean one side over the other. But we have to have that balance of wanting to be engaged in our communities, but also holding up the kingdom values and principles, right? To bring Jesus to people, to teach them his ways. Because I believe that the, the kingdom and the gospel transcends governments. Because here's the thing, politics and change and rulers change, but you know what doesn't change? The gospel message, Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? The fact that we belong to God and that we are called to display his image to others, that is never going to change. Our primary identity is to be a child of God, to be a citizen of heaven, to be an ambassador of heaven. What makes up your identity? How are people seeing you right now? Are they seeing you One way or the other. It should just be a child of God. And let me tell you, that no matter what side you lean on, let me tell you this, is that embracing the gospel will change your politics. It will. Talk to enough people to understand that. Whether you're more on the progressive side or you're more on the conservative side, the gospel will challenge you in all the ideologies and all the issues that one clings to. If you're really a gospel-centered person, then you're going to read through it, you're going to look through it, and it's going to challenge you in one way or the other. That's why you have to know the Word of God. That's why you have to study the Word of God. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time knowing what's true right now. And I need the Holy Spirit to help me and guide me, but I need to know the Word of God. I need to engage with the word of God. It tells us what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us when we to do when we're looking for truth and righteousness. My friends, I want to I hope <laughs> I hope that you cast your vote. And I hope that you vote your conscience and that you line it up with God's word, with God's truth. And I also want to tell you that your hope is not hinged on a vote. Right? Our hope is in the sovereignty of God. We should vote because it's an opportunity for us to live in peace and speak in the areas that will affect our communities. But the problem isn't being involved with politics or casting a vote. The problem is partisanship. Because in this political climate, it's partisanship that gets inside us. And what we we do when it gets into our mindset, when it gets in our heart, this is what we do. All of a sudden, we look at the other side and we think that everything that is wrong is blamed on them. Every single thing. Every single thing that I see wrong in life, in the community, in the world, in the country, we just think the other side, they're completely wrong. And if they didn't exist, things would be a whole lot better. Our country would be better off if that other side didn't exist. Yet when I listen to the rhetoric of both sides, they all say they're for the people. So whether you're liberal or conservative, the cross is a great equalizer, right? Because if whether you lean on one side or the other, I think when we meet at the cross, friends, here as a church, we might have a mixed group here, and when we meet at the cross, no longer am I looking at the other person saying, you are the source of everything bad and evil in the world. You look at the cross, and the cross reflects back your heart, and you realize that I've messed up, that I've got sins, that I've caused pain in family and friends, and it was my selfishness and my self-righteousness, whatever that is, you start to look and reflect through, and you say, man, I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need of something more. And all of a sudden, you stop looking at the other side, and you're just like, oh, man, those people are this and that and whatever that you want to think. And you realize that they're just image bearers as me as well, like me as well. And I I need to have more compassion and empathy to listen, and to engage without discord. We may not all agree on it. That's okay. But let's not break relationship of it because of it. And when I do that, I just get closer to Jesus. And Jesus has this funny thing about bringing us closer together. I no longer see them as my enemy. Is it possible, friends, to look at people to see them and say, God, and just help us all. <laughs> Instead of just trying to overpower. That's not how the kingdom works. And I also want to tell you that there's no political side that holds up the Bible straight through and through. There are biblical issues both on both sides. And I'm telling you, these issues are important. And as a Christian, it's our responsibility. I won't say that. It's our responsibility to prioritize these issues and propose and these proposed policies regarding these issues to sway our vote, to understand these issues, to do our research, to line them up with the word of God. Maybe some of us haven't done that. Let me give you a tip. Why don't you just start reading Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Read through those, study those through, and then look at your views and look at what you think and your ideologies and line it up to that. You will be challenged. I know I have. Take time. Line it up. Be committed to reading the Bible, studying your Bible. Let it be your compass, and then vote your conscience and be accountable to God. See, the purpose of the church is not to, the purpose of the church is to sharpen your conscience, not to take away people's freedom, right? The world's politics, it's all about taking power. I mean, every side is fighting for power, but we need to be a kingdom culture that uses our power to empower others, to love others, and to serve others, When we get involved in politics, it should always be for others, for serving and for loving others. That's what it should be. So I I just want to kind of close with these thoughts, these questions, because I feel like it's really important that we walk out of here with at least grabbing a hold of this thought. Are you prepared for the possibility of not being on the winning side next week? I think right now we're given this gift of time to really process through this. Are you prepared to support and to commit to praying for the president even if it's not your choice? Because that's what we're called to do. It is. I just want to be prepared. I just want to work through that now and not on November 4th. What would it look like If your vote is not on the winning side, how are you going to react? How are you going to respond? I think right now is a good time to really ask that question. And also, there's probably some of you, like some of us, I mean, we're going to be on the winning side. I want to ask you, how are you going to handle that when you're on that side of things? Because I guarantee that there's going to be some people in your life, maybe in your household, definitely in your church, that won't be on that side. How are you going to respond to them? How are you going to react to them? How are, some of them are going to grieve. Some of them are going to be afraid. Some of them are, going to, are, are just going to be overwhelmed, anxious. Will you respond to them? Will you be able to reach out to them? Would you be able to, to love them and encourage them through that? I mean, that's what the church is supposed to be. I'm so tired of all these fractions happening. I'm so tired of this, these, these little cracks that we've allowed to happen. It's time to be who we're called to be. Healers, peacemakers, reconcilers. Lovers of God and his ways, even if they challenge us. Even if they make us feel uncomfortable, we're going to submit. Isn't that what Nick said earlier? But I think it's time for us to prepare for that, to think about that. We're not going to react, we're going to respond, and this is the time to respond to prepare your hearts, to say, God, settle it in my heart. Help me, navigate, help me process through this. So if you're here with us, if you're online, so thankful for you to, to be joining us today. This is where I'm going to tell you how to vote. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be so easy for some of us, huh? No, really, this is the time where we check our hearts. Check our hearts before we cast our vote. Now, some of you guys have already voted. I know, I mean, I, right now I've taken the time, pulled aside with the Lord. Before I wrote anything down, I spent time with Jesus, got my heart right. I mean, this is a big decision. And so I spent that time, did some research, and then I started feeling things. And it's all sealed up. It's on my desk right now and I'm going to send it tomorrow. Some of you guys have already done that. That's okay. That's good. Some of you guys, this week is a big week for you. You're still deciding and you're still figuring it out and you've still got time to do that. So wherever you land on it, if you're able to do that, I hope you pause. Hope you check your heart. And if you're you're here with us, will you stand to your feet if you can? I want you to think about a few things. Number one is remember whose image you bear. Remember that the Lord has ultimate authority. Also remember those who, you, who oppose your political views, remember that they're image bearers of God as well. And then the last thing is vote your Bible. Let it be your voter's guide. Vote through according to scripture. Let it sharpen your conscience. Let it come out of conviction. Walk in the authority of God and in his peace. Do not place all your trust in the president of the United States. Put your full trust in the king of glory, the king who reigns forevermore. The world needs to see more Christian unity right now. Will you take that mantle and say, I'm going to show unity. I'm going to quit attacking someone else because people are watching how the church responds. And I think this is an opportunity for the church to shine. And that's what I want for our hearts today. So if, you have, if you're here, would you just close your eyes, just pause for a moment and just think about all that was spoken. Maybe there's one thing stood out to you. Would you just talk to the Lord about that? Maybe there's some fear, some anxiety about all this, what's going to happen next week, next month. Father, I just pray right now for my friends that may feel anxious, God, all these what-ifs and all these, these terrible just images of what could happen, Lord. Their fear is that there's going to be chaos and all these terrible things, Lord. But I pray that their faith will override their fear right now. Because their faith says that, that you're in control. Even when I don't see it, Lord, you're still in control. Even if I don't feel it, you're still in control. Because I believe in you, I trust in you, and I know that you've got me this far. You're not going to let me down now. You see your fingerprints all over our lives. We know you care for us. You love us. You're going to see us through. You're going to guide us through this season. God, I also pray for those that might be harboring some bitterness or some, some, some anger. They've been hurt. These political words triggered them, Lord, and there's just something. And they're going to go be with family during this Thanksgiving season or Christmas, Lord, and they're anxious about it. I pray that you settle their hearts. Help them to see the other people, the other side, Lord God, as image bearers as well. Help them to get on their face and pray. God, I also pray for all these leaders getting ready to fall into these new positions or or positions in the next season. God, I pray for these leaders. Let's pray for our leaders right now, God. We pray for these leaders. We pray, God, that you select them. We see in your word, God, that you have held them accountable, God, as they put themselves forward. Lord, if they've been selected and voted into office, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will guide them, that you would give them wisdom, Lord, that you would soften their hearts, God. If they don't know your love, Lord, we pray that you surround them with the right people, God, that will lead them to that way. God, we pray, God, that we would have freedom in our country, God, to to express our love for you, to continue to further the, 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 the gospel for all who need to hear and to be a church that would welcome them with open arms, anyone who comes through our doors, Lord, that we would truly be a missional people that will love like you love and will lead like you led. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen, amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for being here this morning. We love you. We're here for you. You know what's really cool is that we do our prayer meeting every first Tuesday here in this building at 7 p.m. And this particular month, it falls on November 3rd, the night of the election. And so I want to invite you, if you want to come we we'll gather, we have an hour of worship and prayer. And I think it would be great to bring as many people in this house and pray and intercede for our country and our state and our local offices. Well, God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week.